Good afternoon to everyone and a Merry Christmas to you. My name is Ron Sanchez. I serve as one of the elders here at Redemption. And this uh, past several weeks uh, throughout Advent, we've been reading as uh, part of our scripture reading, we've been reading from the Gospel of John, the first 18 verses. And I don't know how many times I have read these verses, and I'm sure you have as well, but these are absolutely some of the richest verses in Scripture that just speak of who Jesus is, what he came to do, and just the glorious truths about him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's word for us today. Thank you, Ron. If you would, let's pray together now as we look to God's word. God be with us this afternoon. Help us to see the glory of Jesus in the, the pages of Scripture and even in the particular words we've just read from. Uh, be honored, be glorified in all of it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, these last few weeks, uh, a number of men from our church have been preaching for us through our Advent series. Um, Greg Aulis, John Haynes, Carl Durnell, they've each done an incredible job. I've heard this feedback from you as well, and I, and I agree, and I just want to say that uh, as a relatively young and even small church, to have this many men in our church that love the Bible and are happy to get up, love God's people, faithfully preach it, it really is a blessing, uh, and to do it so well, and so just let's thank these three for the way they've served us um, this Advent. It's a huge blessing. Uh, as Ron mentioned in particular, we've been focusing on the prologue to John's gospel this Advent, the first 18 verses of it, and this whole prologue is basically this rich and complex theological description of who Jesus is. 
Each week we've been focusing on one particular phrase in that prologue to help us make sense of this Jesus. And we've seen that he was in the beginning, which is to say he has always existed, even before he took on human flesh, being born a child. We've seen that he is the Son of God who came to give us the right to be children of God. Uh, we have seen that life itself is in him uh, and, and his, because of his perfect fellowship with God the Father. And we have seen that in the person of Jesus, God himself has come to dwell among us. Finally, for the first time even since the Garden of Eden. All of these details are meant, frankly, to shock and amaze us. Uh, they're meant to fill us with awe and wonder at the mere thought of who this God child really is. But today, as we focus on another phrase, we're going to consider a very simple question. What is he like? What is he like? It's one thing to know a lot of facts about someone. It's another thing to actually know them. I want you to imagine you're given the opportunity to meet someone who you have always idolized, someone who in your mind is just is larger than life. You know all kinds of facts about them, but you've never known them, of course. And here they are about to walk in the door, and you're going to have a personal exchange and interaction with them. This is about the point we are here in John's prologue, uh, in the verse 18 verses of it. Clearly, at this point, this Jesus has some kind of eternal significance. That's been really hard to miss. But how would we describe him if we met him? What kind of impressions would he leave us with? What is the substance of his character and his life? John here claims that he knows. And if you look with me at chapter 1, verse 14, here's what he says. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We covered that last week. Picking up from there, it says, And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of of grace and truth. This idea of John and his friends presumably seeing Jesus' glory, it's kind of interesting. It's not entirely clear if he's talking about some sort of like, like a physical phenomenon, like he maybe would have seen, for instance, on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus kind of pulls back the earthly veil and he reveals his heavenly glory and they could see it there. Uh, he may even be talking about the resurrection. It's hard to say. Chances are he's not referring to anything in particular in that way, but rather to his entire experience of knowing and walking with this child in, the, in his adult life. This would have included everything from the miraculous to the mundane. Everything about Jesus would have revealed the glory of this son of the living God. Everything from the way he prioritized his time to the way he performed miracles, from the way he addressed unimportant people to the way, of course, he rose from the dead. What's interesting, of course, is that not everyone who saw him physically with their eyes saw his glory in this invisible spiritual way that John is referring to. And again, this is why he wrote the book. He tells us at the very end in chapter 20, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. More than anything else, I think this is what John means when he says and talks about seeing Jesus' glory. In other words, if we do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
if we are not relying on him for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, if we have not staked our lives on who this child is and what he's come to do, the truth is we have not seen his glory in the way John is describing here. No matter how many Christmas trees we've decorated, no matter how many Christmas carols we've sung. And so what I want us to first consider uh, this afternoon is the simple question, have you really seen his glory? Is this Jesus that John writes about here the Jesus that you really know? It is entirely possible that for most of your life, you have read about Jesus, you have heard about Jesus, you may have even really liked Jesus, you may have even called yourself one of his followers without ever seeing his glory in this way. Happens all the time. And so please do consider with us this Christmas, do I really know this Jesus? the Jesus revealed in the pages of Scripture? Uh, Do you really believe in the Jesus who has always existed from eternity past and then only took on human flesh when he was born? Do you really believe in the Jesus who has life in himself and who offers that eternal life to all who believe? Do you really believe that the one true God has come to dwell among us in and through this Jesus. Is that the Jesus you believe in? Or is this Jesus basically just an ancient religious figure to you? I want to encourage you this this afternoon, look to his miraculous birth and ask with us, am I seeing the glory here? Uh, Look to his sinless life and his humble service and ask yourself, Do I see the glory in all of this? Look to his sacrificial atoning death, his resurrection, and ask, is this glorious to me? Or are these just nice stories that make us feel a bit better about our lives in some vague religious way? This Jesus that John is writing about is glorious. Like the only son from the Father in heaven. John and his friends have seen it. And all those who see his glory in this way will also come to find that he is full of grace and truth. More than anything else, this is what he's like. Uh, Now, usually when we say that someone's full of something, it's generally not a compliment for us. Uh, I suppose it depends what you're full of, I guess. Uh, It's worth just considering, though, what does this idea of fullness even mean? In in what sense is Jesus full of truth and grace, and and how would John know a thing like that? There's actually quite a bit to this idea of Jesus' fullness, but just in brief, I'll just share that for most of history, of course, God was simply spirit, which is to say he's immaterial. He, He doesn't have a body, a physical body that could be full of anything, really. He didn't have that, and therefore his fullness, the full extent of who he is, it was sort of intangible. You can't really see and experience it, which is presumably why he's created this physical world to reveal his glory. This is why he's made us, quote, in his image, to basically reflect his invisible glory. God is love, and we have the capacity to love. God is holy, and we have the capacity to be holy. And so, this is our original calling, to reflect his glory. That's how it was meant to be, rather. But of course, we rebelled against him, and rather than filling his creation and earth with his glory, we filled it with violence, injustice, and sin. Uh, As a result, there has never been a 
perfect human, full of God's invisible attributes ever since Adam and Eve's fall, that is, of course, until the birth of Christ. Now, in the birth of Christ, God himself has a body. He's become a man and thus can begin to use that bodily life to fill his creation with all of his goodness. This is actually a fairly prominent theme in the New Testament, particularly in Paul's theology. He puts it this way in Colossians 2. He says, For in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then he says to this church, And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Ephesians Paul says that to know the love of Christ is, quote, to be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a fullness that we even get to experience in a way. And then he even says that God put all things under his Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. And here's how Paul describes the body of Christ, the church. He calls it the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so here's the idea. The idea is that all of God's godness does dwell in this Jesus bodily, in the body, knit together in Mary's womb, and by believing in him, we somehow get swept up into his fullness, almost as if we are members of that body in which God's fullness dwells. This is why the church is called the body of Christ. It's an incredible concept, incredible But to say that Jesus is full of all God's godness is one thing. It still begs a very important question. What is this God like? What is he like? Should we even want to be caught up in his fullness? Or or would that be a terrible, ominous thing? Has he come to crush us with his fullness? What exactly is he full of? Surely he's glorious, he's transcendent, that's been clear. But is this good news for us? And against the backdrop of all these lofty, transcendent claims we've seen in John 1, here we see that the answer to that question is a resounding yes. (laughs) Yes, it is very good news that this God has come in the flesh because apparently this transcendent, otherworldly God-child is also filled with grace and truth. This is what he's like course, it helps to to define our terms here. Um, Truth, of course, is a bit more straightforward than than grace. To say that Jesus is full of truth simply means that what he says and what he does, who he is even, is always in harmony with the reality of a situation. He, He is never deceptive. He is not misleading in any ways. He can be taken at his word. He is filled with truth. And in a world of chaos and confusion, all the more, praise God, that we have a heavenly king who is filled with truth. Grace, on the other hand, is just as beautiful, of course, but it's a little bit more nuanced. In one sense, the closest parallel to grace is just the idea of a gift. Uh, It is something we give to another person, not because they deserved it or earned it, but simply because we love them, we want to bless them, we want to seek and serve their best interest. Paul explains in Romans 6, That this idea of grace, this idea of a gift, the opposite of it is a wage, for example. And so, so kids, I want you just to imagine uh, this Christmas you get only one gift, just one gift. Aw, right? 
Only one. And this one gift comes in an envelope. I know it's kind of another letdown. I'm sorry. One gift in an envelope. And you open this one gift. And in this envelope is your allowance. It's your allowance. It's the money that you knew your parents were going to give you because you shoveled the snow or did the dishes or whatever. And they say, hey, thanks for shoveling the snow. Thanks for doing the dishes. Merry Christmas. That would be a bit of a letdown. Uh, That would not bless us, right, in the same way that a gift is meant to bless us. Now, on the other hand, I want you to imagine that you get that one thing that you have always wanted but never imagined you would ever get. It's just You don't deserve that. It's too big and too great. It couldn't be. It's too good to be true, at least for you, right? Couldn't possibly be that. And then you open it, and there it is. That is much more in line with the idea of grace. But there's another layer to this whole idea of grace. Uh, The original Greek word actually most commonly refers to someone who is in power, giving a gift to someone who is under their power and authority, like a boss to an employee, or in the ancient world, like a master to a slave. In other words, it's not just that a gift is being given. Uh, it's not just that a peer gives one gift to another peer. No, it's, it's actually, this is an act of charity between a superior and a subordinate. In the first century, of course, more so even than today, power dynamics ruled the day. Kings were not expected in any stretch to be charitable. Most people would have thought of a king. Why why would he be charitable? He's the king. We exist to serve him, not the other way around. And therefore, a person of power and status giving a gift to someone who is lesser than them would have really revealed this person's not just generous. They're also incredibly humble, self-generous. Forgetful, even not concerned with themselves or their status, even in unexpected, over the top kinds of ways that people would never expect of them. Which leads to yet another dimension of this word grace. Uh, this uh, kind of power disregarding, gift giving grace is also, by definition, very attractive. It's incredibly attractive. And this is why we use the word graceful for example, to describe maybe a beautiful actress who presents herself in very confident, compelling ways. We say, she's graceful. Or we might say this of of a figure skater or a dancer who glides effortlessly across the ice or or the dance floor, just sort of just drawing us in with their every move. We say they are graceful. That's attractive. I want to see and watch that. Of course, we'll see as we keep reading John's gospel that this grace he's talking about comes into the clearest focus in the death and resurrection of God's Son, Jesus Christ. This offering of himself as an atoning sacrifice is the ultimate gift of grace that he was born to give us. But here we simply learn in John 1 that he did not just come to give us grace. It's not as if he thought, I don't know, maybe it'd be a good idea to save these folks for some reason. No, this kind of attractive, humble, power-disregarding, gift-giving grace, it's just who he is. It is who he is. He, He doesn't just give it now and then. He is full of it. It is essential to his godness. This glorious son of God is full of grace and truth. 
Unfortunately, it's kind of common for readers to pit these two ideas of grace and truth against one another almost as if they're opposites, as if, you know, there are truth people. We know those people, right? And then there are grace people. And, 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 and somehow Jesus somehow manages to be both. I don't think it's really helpful to think of these two as opposites in this way uh, because it really implies that there's something about truth that is less than gracious, And there's something about grace that is less than truthful. I don't think that's John's point at all. Instead, I think we should see these two qualities being deeply connected and interrelated. As if anyone who is truly full of truth like Jesus will also be marked by grace. And anyone who is truly full of grace like Jesus will be deeply committed to the truth. One of these qualities cannot be present and active in a person's life unless both of them are. But you have to admit, if John is emphasizing one of them, he is emphasizing grace here. And you'll see this if you look with me at verse 16. He says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. This attractive, gift-giving goodness of God. It's just bursting out of Jesus, and we have all received it. We have been the beneficiaries. And he continues in verse 7, for the law was given through Moses And I'm confident the idea here is that in much the same way, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In other words, because this child was born full of grace and truth, there is a whole new way to approach and relate to God. We saw this, did we not, earlier this year in our series through the book of Galatians. Instead of relying on our sinful bodily lives, our flesh, as Paul says, to obey God and keep his law. Now, because of Christ, we can rely on his sinless, eternal, resurrected flesh. And it's by that faith, rather than simply our attempts at obedience, that we can be made right with God. How? As a free gift of grace. And so I want to simply ask us this morning one last question to reflect on. And that is, have you received the fullness of his grace? Has this goodness and quality of God revealed in Christ, has it intersected with your life? The birth of Jesus, story of Christmas, in so many ways, it's the starting point of of the Christian faith. Uh, It's certainly the point in the story where God's plan of redemption kind of starts to come into focus. This is what it's all about. Here we go. But depending on your impressions of the Christian faith and the Christian message, the story of Christmas may mean something very different to you. And to you, these ideas of godly truth and grace may not be at the center of it at all. At this time of year, you may feel like, okay, here we go, Jesus was born so that I can get my act together, start living the way spiritual people should. Or Jesus was born so that I would just kind of shut it about all my spiritual questions and fall in line. i got to get this thing right. Almost as if Jesus was born full of truth and high expectations. Almost as if he does not delight to give us this free gift of salvation in himself. But really, really, you might ask, because I have a lot of those spiritual questions. Really, because I even have some sin tendencies still certainly in my life, and and the answer to that, based in John 1 here, is a resounding, again, yes, church. The answer is, really. That is what this king is like, and this is the good news of Christmas. We are not a burden 
to this child. He did not have to come plugging his nose and and swallowing us. He did not come rolling his eyes and grumbling. Church, he came full of grace and truth. And so whatever you may believe about Jesus, my prayer is that this Christmas you would see his glory in a whole new way as you come to realize all the more that he is not just transcendent and impressive and mind-blowingly glorious, although he certainly is those things, but in a very personal way, he has come full of truth and grace for us. Would we all receive grace upon grace this Christmas as we see this Jesus, this precious child, for who he really is? Let's pray together. Father, be with us as we close in singing and rejoicing. Help us with one voice to cry out and celebrate and just praise you, God, for this child, your son, who you have sent, full of grace and truth. We praise you for him. We pray you be honored and pleased by our time. In Jesus' name, amen.